Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Romans 12.1-2 says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And lastly, John 5, 39 to 40 says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you, fi- you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. How are we? Good. As Jason said earlier, we're in a series explaining why we you know, why we do what we do on a Sunday morning. Why do we do prayer ministry? Why do we sing together corporately? And why do we read and open scripture every morning? Why do we read and teach scripture as a regular practice? Why do we open the Bible? And the Bible is actually a library of books. 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the new. And it's hugely popular. It's been translated into more languages than any other book in the history of the world. It's influenced politics and art and history and literature and music and culture like nothing else in the West. To quote scholar Michael F. Byrd, the Bible is felt everywhere, even if rarely respected. The Bible's very popular, very influential, but it's also a problematic book for some. It's been used as a weapon to hurt people instead of heal people. It's been used to prop up unjust structures and systems. You know, science has been used to heal bodies and build bombs, while scripture has been used to both justify and dismantle slavery, to unleash horror and healing. It's popular, it's influential, its presence is felt everywhere, but it's also a problematic book for some, and we feel that tension in our city, and maybe we feel that tension in this room as well. So given this tension, why do we spend so much time reading and teaching scripture? This morning, I want to give you three reasons out of many, three reasons, three points, with a lot of other sub-points in between the three. Uh, First... We read and teach from the Bible because we believe that Scripture is God-breathed and helpful. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. God-breathed means inspired by God or due to the inspiration of God. That in the pages of Scripture... We have the word of God. We hear the voice of God. We just have to open this book. 
Now, the passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 applies to what we would call the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures. But it can also be applied to the New Testament. Uh, The New Testament contains the voice of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Peter, who knew Jesus, puts Paul's writings on the same level as the other scriptures in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. And Paul quotes the Gospel of Luke as scripture on par with the Old Testament in 1 Timothy 5, 18. So there's this understanding that all of scripture is God-breathed and given to us through the hands of human authors. That God used the personalities and research methods and writing styles of human authors to convey his word to humanity. To quote Nicky Gumbel, the creator of Alpha, over a period of 1,500 years, at least 40 authors, kings, scholars, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, historians, doctors, they wrote different types of literature, such as history, poetry, prophecy, and letters. It's 100% the work of human beings, but what the writer is saying here is that it's also 100% inspired by God. And in some ways, it's similar to the paradox we encounter in the person of Jesus, that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. Jesus is not partially human and partially divine. And scripture like Jesus is fully human, fully divine. Scripture is a divine book and a human book. It's God-breathed. Now, just because scripture is God-breathed doesn't mean everything in it is good. Meaning, the Bible sometimes contains reportage that doesn't always mean God's approval. This is what happened, not this is what should have happened. History is violent. The human heart can be violent. The Bible records history and reveals the human heart so scripture can be violent. It records horrific events. It records harsh, bloodthirsty prayers as true expressions of people's emotional state. It's true to the evils of history and the human heart. But through all the mess, God is revealing himself through the language, customs, and practices of his people. Scripture is God-breathed. It's God's word for us. And I think this is hugely important because many of us in this room, we've had spiritual experiences, maybe well in nature. And they've been powerful, powerful experiences Maybe it launched us on a journey of exploring faith and spirituality. And it can be tempting to think, my spiritual experiences are far more real than any writing in a book. And in a sense, that's true in the same way that dipping your feet in the ocean feels more real than staring at a map or a chart of the ocean. But if you want to get anywhere on the ocean, a map or a chart becomes crucial. You need the map to know where you're going. And in a similar way, God wants us to experience his presence. But if we want more than just a spiritual experience, which can only get us so far, if we want to know what God wants and desires and how to get any further from the shore, you know, the shore how, to, how to grow in holiness, we need his map. We need his God-breathed word. And this scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3 goes on to say that God's word is helpful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness. 
Scripture teaches us. It teaches us about God and our own hearts. Scripture teaches us about the ultimate purpose of our lives, the goal of our lives, to glorify God, to love God, to love others, to become more like Jesus. Scripture also corrects and rebukes us, that we get off course, we sin, we make mistakes, and so Scripture confronts us and corrects us. And the assumption here is that we will read things in Scripture that we don't agree with. Especially if you're new to the Bible, you're exploring Christianity like many in our community. And when that happens, we will need to ask the question, is there something wrong with Scripture or something wrong with us? To say there's something wrong with Scripture is to correct and rebuke Scripture. I'm the authority, not Scripture. I'm the source of truth about God and life, not Scripture. Now, I need to be really nuanced here because there's subtleties, and I don't want us to get confused or misunderstand what I'm saying. We must wrestle with Scripture. Like, we can come to the Bible and say, hey, I believe this is your word, God, but I'm not sure about this teaching. Like, what does it mean? How does it apply? I'm not sure about this story, how it could be good or true or beautiful. Theologian Leonard Sweet points out that in Jewish culture, it's an act of reverence to ask questions of the story. The story is strong enough to be tried and tested. And as we address our questions and doubts and concerns to God, it can be an invitation from the Holy Spirit to a deeper understanding of Scripture and a deeper relationship with God. And so we have to wrestle and ask questions. And there's room for our doubts and concerns. But... A subtle shift can happen in our spirits. We can start to read this book looking for things to rebuke and correct. And it's very tempting to do this because it's easier to correct Scripture than to allow Scripture to correct us. The problem in the words of St. Augustine is, quote, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like. It's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. It's not scripture that's the authority, it's your own thoughts. I'll change it to say this. If we believe what we like in the Bible <laughs> and reject what we don't like, it's not the Bible, they did it, I love it. Um, <laughs> that's actually an office nod. Um, if we believe what we like in the Bible and reject what we don't like, it's not the Bible we believe, but ourselves. And when we rebuke and correct scripture, we're allowing some other alien worldview foreign to the story of scripture to judge what we can believe and receive from scripture. And in those moments, we need to ask what philosophy or worldview is causing us to rebuke and correct scripture. Do we know what the philosophy is? Do we know where it comes from? Do we have good reasons to believe it? Have we subjected it to the same critical gaze we're subjecting the Bible to? You see, all our doubts about the Bible or anything else arise on the basis of other beliefs we hold. And so are the beliefs that are causing the doubts, causing us to correct and reject the Bible, valid? My guess is we don't even ask those questions. We just read something we don't like and immediately distance ourselves from Scripture. 
But Tim Keller, who passed away, sadly, a few days ago, he once wrote this. He said, to stay away from Christianity because parts of the Bible's teaching, or let me reread that. To stay away from Christianity because part of the Bible's teaching is offensive to you assumes that if there is a God, he wouldn't have any views that upset you. Does that belief make sense? And it doesn't. So if we receive scripture as God-breathed and authoritative, it will correct us and rebuke us. It's one of the ways the Bible transforms us. It corrects us, it rebukes us, it also trains us in righteousness. And righteousness means right-relatedness to God, to others, and to our own selves. That scripture trains us in what right-relatedness looks like. And the end result, if you keep reading the passage in 2 Timothy, the end result is that we're equipped for every good work. And so the Apostle Paul says, hey, all scriptures God breathe, it's helpful, it teaches us, it corrects us, it rebukes us, it trains us in righteousness. Then he says, the goal and the purpose is that we would be then equipped for every good work. That scripture equips us for when we scatter. And here's what I mean. Think about your job for a moment. When you come to faith, it doesn't usually mean your job changes. Like if you're an engineer and you become a Christian, your job doesn't change. I mean, your math doesn't change. Your calculations don't change. Uh, if you're a nurse and you become a Christian, your job doesn't change. How you put in the catheter doesn't change, probably. Maybe you're a little more gentle, I don't know. If you're, if you're a janitor, there's a lot of nurses in the church. Uh, so if you're a janitor and you become a Christian, your job doesn't change. I know I was a janitor and the Holy Spirit didn't change how I vacuumed. If you're a drug dealer and you become a Christian, your job does change, okay? So let's, let's be clear about that. But for most of us, when we become a Christian, our job doesn't change. We change, and we change dramatically, right? New desires, new motivation, new view of the world. And so if our job doesn't change, but we do, how is our job impacted? Well, our, our job's impacted by how we do what we do. It impacts how we relate to our work. This is no longer my ultimate source of identity and purpose. If I lose my job, I don't lose myself or my worth. It's rooted in the fact that I'm a child of God now. It changes how we relate to others at our work. They're not just competitors, people we're trying to get ahead of. They're image bearers of God, deeply loved by Jesus. And so, so we gather and we read scripture and we teach from scripture all to learn how God calls us to be in the world. And this is so important because this is a series on why we do what we do when we gather on a Sunday morning. But it's not great Sunday services that change a city. It's great Christian city planners and politicians and engineers and builders and marketers and graphic designers and authors and business people and servers and artists, employees who work hard and serve well and live for the good of others and embody the character of Christ and the value of the kingdom and carry God's you know, anointing and presence into the boardroom and break room. That's what changes cities and culture. 
That's what brings renewal and allows the kingdom to break into education and government and healthcare and development and trades and techs. And it means the most dynamic ministry won't happen on this stage or when we gather. It will take place through the scattered people of God. Your work is joining God in his work. Your work matters to God. And scripture equips us for that, that ministry. How to be in the world as a follower of Jesus, where we spend most of our days, we read and teach scripture because it's God-breathed and helpful for the whole of our lives. Before I move on to point two, this was the longest of the points. And before I move on, I'll just give you a parenthesis. And so get ready for it. And I just wanna address one objection that may have arisen in your minds. I was just quoting what the Bible says about itself. I believe scripture is God-breathed because it says it is God-breathed. That is circular reasoning. Yes, true. But any appeal to an ultimate authority or final authority will be circular on some level. For example, I base all my beliefs on reason, some brand of secular humanism. I base all my beliefs on reason, not a holy book. As soon as I ask you why you do that and you go to give me your reasons, you're opening your Bible. You're appealing to reason to prove why you should appeal to reason. In other words, any appeal to ultimate authority has a particularity to it, to it. And thankfully, with Scripture, there are independent reasons to believe it's God-breathed, ultimately because Jesus, the Word of God made flesh, the one who died and rose from the dead, giving him unparalleled authority to speak on matters of God and life, he believed Scripture was the Word of God. And to believe Jesus is to believe what he believed about Scripture. It is God-breathed. End of parenthesis. Point two. We read and preach scripture because it transforms our lives. We read and preach scripture because it transforms our lives. We believe that explaining scripture plus applying scripture plus obeying scripture equals transformation. It's a bit of an equation. And if you drop any of the three, explaining, applying, or obeying scripture, transformation, it doesn't happen. And I know we don't remember every sermon we hear. I think about that all the time. We also don't remember every meal our parents made us, but each one nourished us and kept us alive or gave us food poisoning. Um, and it's the same with preaching. Um, I've heard hundreds of sermons, and they've shaped me. And I know that if I applied 5% of the messages I do remember, my life would be utterly transformed. Because even a little bit of scripture explained, applied, and obeyed can change a whole lot of my life. And it's intended to do that. In John 17, Jesus prays for his followers, and there's a line there he prays, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. And to be sanctified is this process by which the Holy Spirit transforms us more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. And God wants to sanctify us by his truth. His word is truth. Or look at Romans chapter 2, but let's zero in on verse 2. The Apostle Paul writes, 
Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. The world's trying to to shape us and evangelize us and correct us and reform us. So scripture needs to do the work of counterformation. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that God renews our minds and our imaginations and our view of the world through scripture. That we're all being shaped by someone or something. We can't escape it. And here the Apostle Paul talks about our mind being renewed, transformed by the word of God, by time spent in dwelling on the story of Scripture. And one of my favorite Alpha stories, uh, there's so many stories if you've been through Alpha. It's a great space if you have questions about the Bible and, and things of faith. But one of my favorite Alpha stories is about the transforming power of God's word. And there was a guy, I might forget some of the details here, but there was a guy who was in the hospital, I believe struggling with addiction, and he was getting treatment. And while staying there, someone gave him a Bible. And he wasn't a follower of Jesus, but he was given this Bible, and he thought the pages were perfect for rolling cigarettes. And if you felt the pages of the Bible, and a zigzag, you know what he's talking about. Um, I had a misspent youth, so I, I see what he's saying. And so he thought they're perfect for, you know, like rolling cigarettes. And so he smoked his way through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. (laughs) And finally, he got to the Gospel of John and decided before he would tear out a page and roll a cigarette, he would read what he was smoking. (laughs) And before he finished the Gospel of John, he decided that Jesus is the Son of God, and I need to follow him with all of my life. And he was utterly transformed. Almost a year ago, we had a man named Kevin share at one of our evening services, and Kevin was sent to prison because he was committing crimes to fuel his drug habit. And he was separated from his wife and family, and he went to a church service, and someone gave him a Bible. And he started reading the Bible in prison, and it arrested his heart, radically changed his life. Over time, following Jesus, submitting to the word of God, having his mind renewed, having his heart healed. And now he leads a recovery center in eastern Canada. His daughter attends this church. I remember being in a room like this as a 20-year-old. I was a brand new follower of Jesus. And I was kind of getting into the Bible. And and someone from the front quoted a scripture, and it almost knocked me out of my chair. It just arrested my heart. And that was the start of, like, the word of God becoming alive to me. And I started reading it every day, and I didn't understand a lot of it. But it began to change me. And that's why we read and teach scripture at church. That's why I open this book on a daily basis. It's not because, if I'm honest, I always get something out of it. I don't. Sometimes I just can't seem to focus. Sometimes I don't want to read it. But it's a habit. And you can even feel the way, you know, that way about a sermon, right? Couldn't focus. Didn't get a lot out of it. It was too hot. That's okay. I mean, don't email me about it, but it's okay. (laughs) We still open scripture. We still listen to scripture taught because one day we will live in the fruit of these moments and so will the people we care about. If we keep putting ourselves in the path of God's living word, opening it, letting it read us, hearing it taught, it changes us like water over a rock, sometimes slow. 
but over time, renews our mind, transforms us. It's God's living word. Here's another parenthesis before I move on to point three. Do you ever wonder how preachers can preach the Bible and leaders can teach the Bible and speak movingly on serving others and lifting others up and at the same time be a power-hungry, mean-spirited, condescending leader? Or get up on a Sunday morning and speak about holiness passionately while living a scandalous lifestyle that later comes to life. How does that happen? And it's scary how simple it can be. You don't have to stop reading the Bible. You just start reading it for others. You read the page and you give it away. You read the page and you give it away. Instead of reading the page and applying it to your own heart and coming under its authority, letting it correct you and rebuke you and teach you and train you before you give it away. Do you ever wonder how people can hear the word taught and never change? You hear sermons about kindness and the next morning write mean-spirited DMs or emails or listen to a sermon about loving our neighbors while refusing to learn their names. Maybe it's because you have young children and you're so, so tired. <laughs> and we're all sinners, that's true as well. But might it also be because we listen to sermons, but we start listening to sermons for others and never apply it to our own hearts and lives. One of my favorite moments in the gospel is when Jesus is resurrected from the dead and Peter's all worried about what's going on with John. And he's like, what about John? And Jesus says to Peter, what's that to you? You follow me. The goal is explanation plus application plus obedience leading to transformation. If reading the Bible never leads to me saying sorry to my wife, or my children, or my roommates, or my coworkers. I'm probably not reading it right and applying it to my own life. End of parenthesis. Point three, we read and teach scripture because it leads us to Jesus. The Old Testament is a story pointing toward Jesus and fulfilled by Jesus, and the New Testament is all about Jesus. Jesus is at the center of God's story. People will say, I don't like the Bible, but I like Jesus. We're either misunderstanding the Bible or Jesus, because the Bible is all about Jesus, and Jesus is all about the Bible. And look at what Jesus taught in John chapter 5 to the religious leaders who'd memorized huge chunks of what we would call the Old Testament. He goes, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What an irony. You search the scriptures for life. They're about me, but you refuse to come to me. It's this tragic irony. To use a lighter example, it kind of reminds me of this website that used to exist, at least, where you, could, you and your partner could like feed pictures of yourself into this website and it would tell you, it would like spit out an image of what your future child could look like. And you could, you could print the picture out and you could keep it in your wallet if you wanted to. Show it to colleagues. 
Imagine you did that and then had real children. But instead of playing with your actual children, you spent all your time studying the picture and showing the picture to others. That would be sad. The picture was a promise of a relationship with a real child to come. And that's like what the religious leaders were doing, studying the picture, but neglecting the person of Jesus. Not just neglecting the person of Jesus, but rejecting the person of Jesus. That scripture is meant to lead us to Jesus. If we read the Bible and study the Bible and memorize the Bible and don't end up loving, following, and becoming more like Jesus, we're not reading it right. If the Bible makes us, if reading it, if hearing it taught, makes us less loving, less joyful, less patient, and more angry, self-righteous, and insufferable to be around, we're not reading Scripture right. If I study the Bible for a year, and at the end of the year, love Jesus less, and dislike people more, something is very wrong. Because the point is to know Jesus and love Jesus and follow Jesus and become more like Jesus in response to the fact that Jesus loved us first. Scripture's all about Jesus. And this informs how we preach here at The Way on all levels. We have a teaching team. Why? Well, we value a diversity of voices. But ultimately, we want you to find Jesus appealing, not a single communicator. Scripture is not about me or Jason or Daryl or Alita. It's about Jesus. We're not building this on a communicator, one communicator. We're building it on Jesus. We don't want anyone to be attached to one communicator, but to Jesus. We don't want anyone to be attached to a preacher, but to a certain type of preaching, a type of preaching that lifts up the name of Jesus. And says, look at him. Jesus himself said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw people to myself. That's the type of preaching we're after. There's a way to preach where, you know, the message has one main idea. And each point's meant to reinforce that main idea. Then when you leave this place, you remember that one idea. That's not bad. It can be good. In fact, if your main goal is information transfer and retention... That's the best way to speak. We don't do that here. There's been like a zillion points and subpoints in this talk. It's not that we would never do it. It's not that we think it's wrong for someone else to do it. It's because for us, our main goal is not information transfer and retention. In our culture, we're not suffering from a lack of teaching or information. We're suffering from a lack of transformation. And what brings transformation? Encounter with the living God. Like his love removing our shame, his spirit reordering our loves and our affections. Our main goal for a message is that it would be a catalyst for us to encounter the living God. So that we would see him as worthy of giving our entire lives to. That all I'm ever trying to do is preach us up and into the glory and sufficiency and beauty of Jesus so that he would win our heart's primary loyalty. Because once Jesus wins our primary loyalty and we've submitted to his rule, the main battle is already won in regard to the authority of scripture and everything else it teaches. All that's left is a lifetime of some intense skirmishes between what the Holy Spirit wants and what our sinful nature wants. As Jesus presses the victory, he's already won into every aspect of our lives. And so we can teach about forgiveness and generosity, and sexual integrity, 
and enemy love and mercy and justice. And that's not wrong. But it might not always be effective because we won't be convinced about Scripture's teaching on enemy love or sexual ethics or radical generosity unless we're already convinced about the holiness and beauty and lordship of Jesus and find ourselves willing to follow him wherever he leads because he's so good and he knows what's best for us. And so our preaching is meant to lead us up and into the glory and beauty and sufficiency of Jesus and his finished work on the cross for us. And so we read and teach scripture because it's God-breathed and helpful. We read and teach scripture because it's transformative in our lives. And we read and teach scripture because it leads us to Jesus. And so in conclusion, I want to invite us to see the scripture as a venue for encountering and wrestling with the living God. There's an ancient Jewish story in the book of Genesis about a man named Jacob who wrestles with God all night. And he refuses to let go of God until he receives a blessing. And he comes out of the encounter with a limp, a new name, and a transformed life. I think that's a beautiful picture of Bible reading and teaching. That we wrestle with the scripture, we wrestle with the story of scripture, and say, I won't let go until... You bless me, God. I'm going to hold on, and I'm going to dig in. I'm going to stay in the story until I get a blessing and a new name. And as a community, we're not going to let go of this book. We're going to cling to it and wrestle with it and preach it and teach it until we receive a blessing and a new name and a transformed life, even if we leave the encounter with a limp in our step because we've been humbled and called to account. We will let it teach us and correct us and rebuke us and train us up into God, who God calls us to be. We're gonna hold on to this book until it leads us to the feet of Jesus in worship and adoration. And that's what I wanna invite us into now. And so would you stand to your feet with me?